0: Did you know there's a big election coming up this week? Maybe you missed that. I'm imagining in many pulpits across the country, pastors today have chosen to address this deeply controversial, deeply personal topic of politics. But here at Stanwich, you can rest assured. We're steering clear of those controversies. Just relax, because today's sermon does not deal with your politics, but that smooth sailing topic of your money. So everybody can just... You're fine. I thought I'd ease into this difficult topic with a personal story. Last fall, the fall of 2015, we were preparing the property next door for Pastor Jackie and Mike to move into. And we had a tree cutting crew come in, Danny Agro and his guys. Hi, Danny. And they came in to take down some trees. And I, knowing I needed some firewood, pulled Danny aside and I said, Hey, what are you doing with all that wood? And Danny very graciously had some of his guys drop off a bunch of unsplit firewood at my parsonage right around the bend, four trees worth of firewood. So I called Tim Hanna, another neighbor of the church, and I asked if I could borrow his hydraulic wood splitter. He graciously dropped that off in the parking lot next to my house, and I began splitting wood For hours a day and on the weekends in my spare time, I was splitting so much wood and I began looking at this mounding pile of firewood in my parking lot and I began to think, oh man, this is way more firewood than I bargained for. And I pictured myself in that moment later that winter sitting by the fireplace in my home with my feet up on an ottoman, a warm cup of hot chocolate in my hands and I was saying to my soul, soul... You have ample firewood stored up for many years. Eat, drink, and be merry. And while I was splitting all that wood, I was reminded of a family that we know who doesn't have a lot of extra money, and they heat their home with a wood-burning stove all throughout the winter in order to save money on heating oil. So I thought, perfect, I can give lots of this wood to them. It'll be a blessing to them. And I resolved to do that in my heart. And I'm splitting wood, and I had made that decision, and I looked back at my own pathetic, meager supply of firewood, and I filled those firewood racks, and I kept thinking about that family who needed firewood, and I have a confession to make to you, church. Before I called them, before I called them, I went out and I bought not one, but two extra large firewood racks for my own house, filled them and then I called the family in need. And when that happened, I I heard this warning bell going off in my spirit. The Holy Spirit speaking to mine, giving me a little bit of a warning saying, Nathan, be on guard, be careful. If you did that with your firewood, you probably are also doing that with your money. And I heard this warning sign, kind of like verse 15 of our reading today where Jesus says, Take care, be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his or her possessions. Covetousness, that's the disease that had crept into my heart as it related to my relationship with my firewood, I knew that there was someone else who needed it more than me, but my own covetousness sought to fill my own storehouses first. The title of today's sermon is Jesus for the Wealthy. It's part of our fall series asking the question, Who needs Jesus? But really, as we'll see as we unpack this together, wealth is not the real problem. It's what Jesus called covetousness. That disease that can creep into the hearts of men and women and if we heard about a disease that was spreading through the land we might ask some questions about it wouldn't we if we learn about a new disease coming we would say well who can get it and we might ask what does it do to us and then of course we'd want to know how do you cure it and all those questions are answered in today's reading who gets covetousness this disease what does it do to us And how can we cure it? What's the cure for covetousness? Who can get covetousness? Who can get this disease? The story shows us that covetousness is a disease that impacts both the haves and the have-nots. Did you see that in the story? A man, in verse 13, comes to Jesus and he says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. This is an example of someone who has not. There's a bunch of inheritance that his brother has received and this man thinks he deserves it. He has not. He has covetousness in his heart. He sees Jesus and he demands that Jesus tells his brother to give it to him. But then Jesus tells a parable that almost seems not to fit with the man who has just challenged him to give him his inheritance because Jesus doesn't tell a story of someone who doesn't have much. He tells a story of someone who does, a rich man whose crops produced even more plentifully. He got the inheritance, so to speak. He got all the riches, and yet he was sick with the same disease. It's as if Jesus was exposing to the man who had not. What would happen if he actually got the inheritance he was longing for? Jesus is giving a warning. If you don't deal with the underlying issue, the covetousness in your heart, even if you got the inheritance from your brother, your main problem would not be solved. So who can get this disease called covetousness, anybody, whether you have or you have not. What is this thing called covetousness? I would describe it this way. If you look in the dictionary, it just says covetousness is an unhealthy desire or craving for something. But I would suggest that in this passage and throughout the Bible, it shows us something even deeper than that. Covetousness basically is ascribing worth or worthship. That's where we get our word worship. It's ascribing worship to anything that's not God. That's basically covetousness according to the Bible. It's ascribing worship to anything that's not God. And it can happen in the hearts of those who have. They can look at all that they have and they can ascribe worth-ship to that or those who have not and they can long for it and they in their own way are ascribing worth to something that is not God. So that's what it is, and who can get it? Well, anyone. And now that we know that almost anyone can get covetousness, we might ask, what does it do to us? What are the symptoms? How will I know if I have the disease called covetousness? Well, this text shows us three things, three things that covetousness does to us if we have it. The first one is that it consumes us. It consumes us. Secondly, it changes our view of God. And thirdly, it makes us lie to ourselves. Firstly, it consumes us. Did you notice in verse 13, this man suddenly appears out of the crowd? And apropos of nothing at all, he starts calling out to Jesus saying, Teacher, tell my brother to divide my inheritance with me. Jesus is going around the place and he's teaching on something entirely different. He's not actually teaching about money in this part of his day suddenly this guy appears out of the crowd and he's got something on his mind teacher tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me he was utterly consumed by covetousness it's all he could think about his brother had money that he thought was rightfully his it was totally consuming him have you ever had that feeling where it's all you could think about maybe somebody owed you money Maybe there was this thing you really, really wanted really badly, and it's all you could think about. Everything else was just kind of tangential to the main idea that you had. This man clearly was consumed by the thoughts that were happening because of his covetousness. We think that if we get much, we'll be able to consume more. But in fact, that very thing, that covetousness, consumes us. Secondly, it changes our view of God. Let's stay in verse 13 for just a minute. This man who calls out from the crowd, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Let us not forget that he is addressing Jesus, Son of God, the very divine presence, the very creator of the universe on earth, in the flesh. If anyone ever walked up to Jesus, what ought we do if we saw Jesus? Fall on our face and worship him. Yet, this man encounters Jesus, and he has this other thing that he's ascribing more worthship to, this inheritance that he thinks he is owed. So when he sees Jesus, he thinks Jesus is just a means to an end to getting this thing that his heart really desires. Jesus, tell my brother, could you do that for me, Jesus? Has anyone here ever prayed a prayer like that? God, give me. You have this thing, you're ascribing worship to it. We all do this in one point or another in our lives. We have this thing that we just can't stop thinking about. It's consuming us. We think we need it. So we say, God, just please give that to me, would you? See, that changes our whole view of God. It's not worshiping God at that point. It's worshiping the thing and asking God to serve me to get the thing. Covetousness consumes us and it changes our view of God. And thirdly, and perhaps most damagingly, most sinister of all, covetousness makes us lie to our souls. It makes us lie to ourselves. Verse 19, the man imagines himself with his full storehouses, and he says to his soul, You know, I love studying the Bible with with Parker Stacy. I don't know if Parker's here today. He's a therapist. And we were looking at one of these texts recently, and he said, you know, Jesus is a masterful psychologist because he understands what we say to our souls. That's deep psychology. The man thought if his storehouses were full, he could say to his soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. We know, don't we, that this is a lie? We say to our own souls, once I have enough, once my storehouse is full, then I'll relax. Does anyone here know that this is a lie? Let me prove to you, just in case you're still skeptical on this, that this is a lie we tell ourselves. Once I get to my benchmark, once I get to my goal, my financial goal, then I'll begin relaxing. This is a lie. I'll tell you why. Many of you know that I've been working for a couple of years on a doctoral dissertation, asking the question, trying to figure out the relationship between the gospel and material wealth. Some of you participated in some of my research methodologies. You took my survey or you came to the Wednesday evening class where I mined your ideas. Well, I also did one deep dive interview with a man in the congregation, someone about my age. I really wanted to pick his brain. I wanted to hear from him because he's somebody who's materially very wealthy but also really loves the Lord. I love his faith. This is a man he's about my age. I thought it'd be perfect to just sit down with him. I interviewed him for over an hour. We recorded it, and I had it transcribed, and I've taken what he has said, and I've been using it in my dissertation. And about halfway through the interview, I asked him, this is a man who uh, his household income is about 8 to $10 million a year, and his net worth is fast approaching $100 million. This puts him in the 0.01%, in case you're wondering where that is. This is a materially wealthy person, someone who has full storehouses. And I asked him halfway through the interview, I said, do you ever worry about money? His response was, every single minute. Of every single day now I followed up of course and I said tell me more what you mean by that you worry about money do you worry about losing it I said and he said no I don't worry about losing it so much although crazier things have been done I don't worry about losing it I worry about not stewarding it well making not right decisions he talked about a legacy for his family and having an unhealthy relationship with it. And he said, I think about it a lot. I worry about it. So we know, don't we, that it's a lie when we say to our souls, once I have a certain amount, then I'll stop worrying, then I'll relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Maybe when you get to your benchmark, you go out for dinner with your spouse and you relax for an evening. You've reached your benchmark. But guess what settles in the next day? Worry. It's a lie that we tell to our own souls, our own deepest parts of our being. We say, if my storehouse is full, then I'll begin relaxing. If we still haven't dealt with that deeper issue, if there's any lingering covetousness, then no matter how much we get, we will still have a little bit of worry, won't we? Covetousness. It can consume us. It can change our view of God. It can make us lie to ourselves. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, so... Does the Bible say that God is against storehouses? Should we not have investment portfolios and retirement accounts? Is that what the Bible is saying? No. God is pointing us to a deeper issue called covetousness, and I know that God is not against storehouses, primarily because of the example of Joseph in the Old Testament. Do you remember Joseph who had been captured in Egypt, and then he rose to power there, and he was God's man to help steward all the resources of Egypt, and he had a dream that there was going to be a famine coming. So what did Joseph do? He filled storehouses full of grain, so that when the famine did come, as predicted in the dream, Joseph was able to uh, unpack those storehouses as a blessing to the people of God. It was worship to God and it was blessing to God's people. Joseph did not struggle with covetousness as far as we could tell. The man in the parable, it's all about him. I will tear down my barns. I will raise bigger barns. I will say to my soul, I can relax. It's storehouses for self. Whereas Joseph filled storehouses for the glory of God and for the blessing of of God's people. This leads us to the third question that we ask about this disease called covetousness. How do we cure it? How do we get rid of it? If it's something that can impact any one of us, whether we have or we have not, once it gets into us, it consumes us, it changes our view of God, and it makes us lie to ourselves. What's the cure? Please, God, show us the cure for this disease called covetousness. Jesus in his last thing that he says here, verse 21, he says, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Rich toward God. That's the cure for covetousness. What does it mean? It's a strange translation of the Greek, actually. The word toward in many other places is translated in. And I think it would have been better translated here saying rich in God. In other words, ascribing true worthship, finding our ultimate worth, seeing God as our ultimate treasure. No thing on earth ascribing worthship to that which is higher than God, but being rich in God is understanding that He is our richest treasure. It's saying like the psalmist did in Psalm 73, where he said, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire more than you. That's the cure to covetousness. It's ascribing worthship to God alone, our treasure in heaven. Or it's saying like the Apostle Paul did, where the Apostle Paul looked at all that he had gained in this life, all that he had accomplished, and he looked at all of that, impressive as it was, and he compared it to what he called the unsurpassing worth of Jesus Christ. And he looked back at all that he had gained, all that he had accomplished, and he said, compared to the unsurpassing worth of Christ, that value of all of that stuff is basically rubbish compared to Christ. So it freed Paul up to worship God with his stuff. God didn't say, get rid of it all or it's all a waste. God didn't think of it as rubbish. Paul began using it as worship to God and as blessing to God's people, just like Joseph did with his full storehouses. For the glory of God and for the blessing of God's people, unlike the man in the parable who built up storehouses only to himself and the covetousness underneath was not dealt with. But most of all, the cure to covetousness is understanding who Jesus really is for us. I think it must have been very interesting for Jesus to hear this man suddenly appear out of the crowd and say, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Because Jesus would prove that he is our brother who wants to give us the richest of all inheritances. Go home and do a word study in the New Testament. Just type in the word inheritance. And look what the Bible describes is coming our way because of our brother, Jesus. We've been adopted into God's family, it says. And he is our brother. He is the ultimate one true son of God who deserves all the blessing and all the reward for all of his perfect obedience to the Father. And what has Jesus, our brother, done with his due inheritance? He has said, not for me, but for them, those who don't deserve it. And Jesus went to the cross in perfect obedience to his father's will. And he got the inheritance we deserve, which is death, which is the punishment for our sin. And he said, I want them to have my rich inheritance, which is eternal life. So this man had no idea what he was saying to Jesus. Tell my brother, to divide the inheritance with me. I wonder how Jesus received that and how he receives us when we go to him and we say, Jesus, give me that thing. When our minds and hearts are consumed by covetousness, and we see him simply as a means to an end to get this other thing we really want. and there he stands right before us, our true treasure, our older brother who wants to give us the richest of inheritances. This is the cure to covetousness, is seeing Jesus for who He really is and what He's done for us on the cross. Do you have covetousness? It impacts anybody can consume us, change our view of God, make us lie to ourselves. People of God understand there's a cure. His name is Jesus. Amen.